Are we starting now? We're starting now, but... <laughs> Let me put my tea down then, Vic. Right. So now that we've decided we're going to start the podcast, I suppose we should let everyone know what the podcast is about tonight. First of all, dear listeners, welcome back to yet another episode of Cyber Warrior Princess. Princess? Are we princesses? We're, we're plural, right? Dang it. I don't I, I don't know how you define Beck, but I'm a queen. I need to check the sticker. I can't remember. <laughs> oh, you're the marketing guru. Oh, God. We're lost for sure then. Uh, so, yes, as I was saying, uh, welcome to uh, this episode where Vic and I have decided that we're going to delight you uh, by talking about quantum nonsense. I mean, quantum computing and the, the delights of the latest um, Google announcement that we both took great delight in, quantum supremacy, not to be confused with a supreme pizza. Or the Supreme Court. <laughs> or the Supremes themselves, indeed. Or Chicken Supreme. <laughs> I think that's quite British take, actually. I think you, you stretched a bit there. <laughs> so we're, we're calling this a quantum of nonsense. Yes, but don't forget, it might be or it might not be, but most probably is both at the same time, undoubtedly. Hang on, is that Schrodinger's nonsense? Oh, of course it is. That's as far as I can tell about quantum, right? And and let's just be clear, I know very little about it. But as far as I can tell, it basically all boils down to it can be both things at the same time. And I'm pretty sure that the scientists have designed it in that way so that it would drive anyone who tries to understand it absolutely bonkers. <laughs> is this also about the you know, the, the policy of always under promise. Yes. Under promise and over deliver. That's how they say it. Right. So, so if, <laughs> if they deliver one of the being and not being <laughs> halfway there, right? Well, if they open the box and the cat's still alive, that's okay too. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, but, but, in a tiny bit of seriousness, right? Uh, I did. I do have to admit, I got a little bit excited when the whole quantum supremacy thing came out. So this was, you know, after the last time we recorded, and obviously before this time, I think it was about two weeks ago. But they they had this big release, you know. Oh, Google, we've reached quantum supremacy. Dun dun dun. I saw that. I thought suddenly we are in Terminator Two. Here we go. I know, right? I was like, brilliant. Find out which encryption algorithms have been immediately broken. And the- Do I need to start running now? <laughs> Do I have to head for the hills? Because quantum supremacy sounds like I might have to head for the hills. <laughs> You're right. I'm going to have to do some uh, some more pull-ups. There's no way I'm that close to uh, Linda Hamilton kind of good right now. I cannot handle this quantum I'm supremacy. Sorry to digress. You know I like to digress. I've been re-watching V, the miniseries. Oh. Do you remember that with the lizards coming to Earth? I definitely do not. Was that just a British thing? (laughs) No, no, it was an American thing, but it was 1983. They used all the kind of Star Wars and E.T. music and references. But, um, yeah, it was was a miniseries. Was it it CBS? It might have been. Um, The lizards come to Earth. They claim to come in peace. They persuade the UN Secretary General they're actually just harvesting people for food. And the scientists 
the scientists are uh, all being singled out for being particularly bothersome. And I'm just at the end of episode two where all the scientists have had to start heading for the hills. So that's how that's how I feel at the moment when we get big announcements like quantum supremacy. When you see that headline on your phone and you're like on the train and then your signal drops and you're like, oh my God, what just happened? The sky's gone dark. The lizards are coming for me. Yeah, but then I don't know if you were like me, right? Then I read the article and I, I read, you know, a few more articles and I was like, oh, okay, that's all it means. So basically they were just saying, I mean, don't don't get me wrong. It was still an amazing thing that happened, right? So their, their processor, which has more qubits than, you know, whatever the next processor on that particular day was able to perform a certain calculation. I don't remember which kind of calculation, but to do it much, much faster like as in thousands and thousands of years faster than um, whatever today's most advanced computer is. What's the name of the, um, hold on a minute. I, I'm going to cheat. I had it on a window here. Hold on. Uh, Summit. So yeah, here we go. So here, okay. I'm going to read this to you. Here it is. Uh, their processor was able to perform a calculation in three minutes and 20 seconds that would take today's most advanced classical computer known as Summit approximately 10,000 years. I mean, I'm not going to, you know, that's pretty, that's pretty supreme. I'm like, yeah, okay. I give it to you. Good job. <laughs> it's almost as supreme as chicken supreme. I've got to say, but so one of the things that strikes me as, as very much a quantum lay person, you know, I always say I'm a behavioral specialist, darling. I'm good at people in cyber, not the technical stuff. But what I what I am aware of, because I have to keep track of who's working on what to do all the, the cyber future stuff that I do, yeah, yeah. is how many organizations and universities are involved in like simultaneous projects in relation to quantum. Oh, yeah, and I do, you know, yeah. it's such a crowded environment, isn't it? And I completely understand the prize is huge. Oh, it's massive. Right. Huge, but, yeah. but was I right? I mean, we were talking about this earlier in the week. And was I, am I right in thinking that there was, like, after the big announcement, there was a little bit of a backtrack from Google? Well, yeah, because basically they, they had their big announcement and then they, they posted something on NASA and then they, like, immediately took that down. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not what we meant. <laughs> And I think it was a little bit like the scientists got, you know, kind of carried away with themselves. And then they realized, oh, my God, we can't leak this. This is massive news. <laughs> so it's, it's not all like open, happy, joyous, you know, oh, look at ARPANET. Everyone join and sing Kumbaya around the ARPANET. You know, it's not quite the same thing these days, is it? So, yeah, I, I think they backtracked quite fast. <laughs> It's something I was speaking to somebody about earlier today is, you know, when you make announcements about quantum, try and be sure or try to try and think about the potential impacts of those announcements <laughs> and the way that you word them. Because like from our perspective, from a cybersecurity perspective, it raises all sorts of really, really important knock-on considerations, right? So there is the possibility that quantum will crack existing encryption encryption algorithms right. so we've got that right yeah. and then there's also the you know the possibility that quantum will provide its own more advanced encryption well and that so they are already working on quantum safe encryption so there's there's like a whole hashtag you can go and read all about just look up quantum safe computing quantum quantum safe encryption 
And what they're actually recommending to people now is that if you're setting up something that requires encryption, that you look at and utilize uh, quantum safe encryption capabilities now. And the reason they're saying that is, um, for example, uh, you know, governments, um, I don't militaries, you know, I don't know, research and development, you know, focused entities, but they're basically hoovering up anything that they can collect that they think might be significant that's encrypted now, like that they can't get, you know, access or get into now in the hope that, you know, in the next sort of 10 years, I guess, or so they'll be able to, to, to crack it wide open and see whatever it is. So there's very much a focus right now around using, what is it, ECC elliptic curve cryptography, I think, is one of the ones that's quantum safe. Uh, now, don't ask me to break anything down mathematically. I, I couldn't tell you the fuzziest. I just know that it has to do with the way the information, um, the, the numbers are generated. So versus the traditional method of encryption, which has to do with improbability. No, not improbability. Was it intractability? So mm -hmm. it, it has to do with prime numbers and being able to factor incredibly large prime numbers in a realistic amount of time. And so the intractability of that problem is what has made traditional encryption quite difficult. <clears throat> and so that, to me, that's what's fascinating is now, you know, you got a computer that, okay, our normal big boy computer takes 10,000 years to crack. And they're like, yeah, we did it in three minutes in a bit. So that is getting a, a you know, okay, now we're looking at some, <laughs> some, uh, some intractable problems suddenly not becoming so intractable after all. So that, that to me is what's super exciting about it. And how, how feasible do you think it is for, you know, I'm thinking about people who are developing the most exciting tools and platforms are going to be two, two folks and a dog in a garage. <laughs> I don't. Right. It's a, well, they did that, right. What Apple and, and stuff like that, Microsoft, those guys back in the day. And, and even these days, you know, when they started kickstarted some of the, um, the, the cool um, startups and things we see happening, but I don't know, because I, it, it, again, from what I've read about setting up these kinds of systems, you know, they've got to be hyper cooled. They have very special parts. They use very special types of metal, you know, there's a lot of things that require a specialist kit that sounds incredibly mm. expensive and incredibly difficult, you know, to maintain. And then even once you create these, um, the cube bits, so we have a normal bit, right? A one or a zero, an electrical pulse makes a one or a zero, you know, either on or off. And the cube bit is the thing that's the magic behind this and getting something to a state uh, the, 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 see, this is where I'm going to sound like an idiot, but the, the matter, whatever they call it to achieve the qubit state, that is apparently so difficult to do and then requires a certain amount of cooling to be able to maintain that state. And then the difficulty is how many of these qubits can they put together and still maintain the state with all of them together. And so that's where the real difficulty lies because they're trying to string basically more bits together, qubits together to be able to do the magic. And so, yeah, you're looking at, gosh, I can't even imagine, probably millions. I mean, I'm sure it's out there if, if someone wanted to go and research it. But, yeah, millions to create these labs and stand up these labs in order to do this stuff. But, um, yeah, I think that's why you see the Googles doing it, some of the universities putting money into it, you know, the Amazons, the Microsoft. These guys are all jumping into it, you know, and playing in this space. But then even thinking about quantum safe encryption, how accessible is that, do you think, to – the average startup rather than 
the massive mega corporation. Well, I think the encryption algorithms themselves are quite accessible. And I know that there are, and again, this is where I'll show my lack of knowledge uh, holistically, but I, I know that there are tools out there where you can elect, you know, to, to utilize that type of encryption. I think based on studies I did I, when I used to teach for SANS years and years ago, um, one of the things I remember about ECC in particular is that it's more processor intensive. So it was one of the reasons originally they didn't go with ECC. It was like, oh, hey, you know, encryption's already hard. It already takes a lot of processor cycles. Let's go with this one. It's a little bit easier, Bob, you know. And um, now what they're discovering, obviously, is, okay, well, processor speed has gotten a heck of a lot faster in the last 10 years. Thank you, Moore's Law. Uh, yeah. You know, RAM has gotten a lot cheaper. Storage is a lot more accessible, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, we're going to go with ECC. Why not? Aha. Um, uh -huh. Now, but one thing that... I'm constantly, I'm constantly thinking about, that's a complete lie. I'm not constantly thinking. <laughs> I am constantly thinking about dogs and folk music. And in between those two things, sometimes I think about cybersecurity. And, and one, of my, one of my thoughts about, you know, when we're, when we're looking ahead at the future of processing, you know, we've got a signal, haven't we, in, in, the, in the sense of, you know, the resistance or the concerns in Iceland about the, the number of servers oh, yeah. that have been turned over to like Bitcoin mining and blockchain, yeah. you know, accessories. And and I do wonder, you know, if we're, if we're hailing the advent of quantum, is there going to be a, a backlash to this? Because we're seeing much more focus on, you know, climate activism, climate crisis. This is intensely energy consuming, isn't it? Yeah, but I think it's, yeah, I think it's going to depend on how it evolves and how it then becomes accessible to others. Because every, um, so who is it? Joe Bloggs, that's what you see over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the one. <laughs> because every Joe Bloggs can't create and stand up their own little basement system, you know. It's like when I did my CCNA almost two decades ago, I had a rack in my living room, you know. I was like, look, I'll put a switch here. I'll put a router there. You know, brilliant. I'm studying for the CCNA. Good to go. It's not going to be like that, you know, with the, I've just got my little quantum lab down in the basement. Yo, boy. <laughs> So I, I don't think it's going to be necessarily the same um, dependencies in terms of, um, you know, electricity and, and power needs and things like that. Uh, and in fact, maybe it will help, you know, maybe if we can do a lot more with less, um, I don't know, computers spread around the world. Uh, hell, what do I know? <laughs> but back to your, well, no, I, I think that there is, that's got to be the other side of it, hasn't it? But also, you know, back to your point about Moore's Law. You know, we all remember that guy from IBM saying, well, no, no, it might only need to be five computers in the world. <laughs> Did someone really say now, that? Here we are. We've all got like five or six each. Oh, minimum. <laughs> and then you have to, you know, do you count your smartphone as a computer? Because isn't it like smartphones these days have actually more storage and processor capability than the first ship that went to the moon? So... <laughs> Beck, can I have quantum on my phone? <gasps> that would be amazing. What, what would you do with it, though? I mean, just like I'd zap people with it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it doesn't work like that, Vic. <laughs> uh, I can't. If I can't zap people with it, I don't want it. Maybe you could like Uber Eats faster. You know, you'd be like. <laughs> I tell you what. In all seriousness, I tell you what I could do with as the kind of analyst I am is. Um, 
you know, when I'm doing projects where I want to be able to take the entire um, uh, net's wisdom of, um, you know, academic journals, scientific papers on, for instance, uh, you know, um, future developments in VR or patents for AI, that kind of thing. Right. And I want to just be able to crunch that. Now, There, are, I know there are people out there who are going to say, oh, well, we've got a tool that does that. We've got a thing that we can sell you that does that. Yeah, fine. I just want to, I want to be able to press a button on my phone. It'll go, hang on, I'm just thinking for a second. Here you go. Here's the answer. <laughs> Here's a lovely graph. Um, and, and not just, you know, proprietary information that somebody else wants me to buy, but just being able to extract all of that and make sense of it super quick, I think would be amazing. Well, I think that's, that's, I think that's more AI, isn't it? I think that's more, um, actual analysis of the information that's there. And then maybe at quantum speeds, giving you the output of that information. (laughs) Ah, so, uh, so there you go. It's all about the interactions. It's, it's not just quantum in isolation. I did that on purpose. that on purpose yeah. for you, Vic. I'm all I'm all about the synergies and the, the intersections between developing technologies. <laughs> no, I think it's brilliant. I've been um, I've been having a conversation with someone making fun of dark blockchain. So yeah, you know, there, there's going to be that at some point, surely. <laughs> is, is dark blockchain just a bit moodier than normal blockchain? <laughs> it's like the underbelly of blockchain. <laughs> And I say this with great affection for this particular tribe, but is it like goth blockchain? Yes, goth blockchain. That's amazing. It's like blockchain with more eyeliner. <laughs> and I can I can say this from personal experience because my former stepfather is a goth musician. Is that right? is that where you so, got your folk tendencies from? <laughs> no, not at all. No, I was rebelling against goth by being into folk. Because that's, you know, it's a bit niche. <laughs> but anyway, I just wanted to say that today. It's not it's not poking fun at goths. I've got a lot of affection for goths. Oh, gosh, me too. Family, family time for goths. My mum was a goth for a bit. No, I, I love goths people. They're awesome. I, I, anybody that's a little bit different from the norm, I say, you know what, more power to you. I think you have to go the extra mile to be comfortable in your skin like that. And, and I, I think that just makes awesome people. <laughs> It's a bit deep, but yeah. Sorry about that. Um, I've had a lot of tea, so have you? Have you? Have you run out of enthusiasm for your quantum? Oh, I think it's run the course. I, I feel comfortable now. I, I'm happy to move on. I know we had a question. We had a question. We've, yeah, we have a duty. We have a duty to a listener. Yes, let, let's do it. Let's um, let's fulfill that obligation. Nay, that so wonderful RM RM Girl UK, <laughs> who has have you noticed she's renamed herself a Halloween RM Ghoul. Yeah. We like that. She's brilliant too. A better well person. Well She's done, a lovely lady. Yeah. Um, so a quote, I'm going to quote her tweet. So her question was, a doofus, that's a good, that's a good word, isn't it? Wrote on LinkedIn, why aren't women in cybersec instantly becoming invisible? Invisible is an important mm, word, I think. Mm. Would you say that the people who don't see women are at the wrong events or need to go to spec savers? <laughs> <laughs> Why aren't women noticed? Other than women only, what events do you find them most at? Oh, such a massive question. <laughs> it's good though, where, isn't it? It is Where good. to start? <laughs> 
So I'm I'm gonna I, I am inevitably going to have a little bit of a rant on this. But before I start, Beck, is there anything you want to well, say? I think that you should rant away, and I will I will inject as we go along. So. I think that increasingly men and women in cybersecurity are voting with their feet on this one and they are refusing to take part on panels if there isn't at least, you know, one woman on the panel. So Rick Ferguson is a great example of that. Hello, Rick, you know, leading the way by saying, actually, I'm not going to come and speak at your event unless you have um, a woman on the bill or a woman on the panel with me. Um, and I, uh, to be honest, I think that's absolutely right, because otherwise you end up in a situation where women don't go along because they don't see anyone who looks like yeah. them. No, it's true. You know, and, and, and similar, similar feelings of like non-representation, I'm, I would imagine, although I don't want to speak for, you know, black and minority ethnic uh, members of the cybersecurity community, you know, you don't see someone who looks like you, so you think, well, this might not be for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I have started doing that off, you know, off Rick's example, but I've also started doing it with, um, you know, just not being in the audience because why would you waste your time, particularly if it's a paid event, going along to something to see um, four um, people on a panel or five people on the panel that all look the same, all think the same, all have the same background. And I think that's particularly the case in cybersecurity, isn't it, where we've got a lot of people who are ex-military, a lot of people who are ex-government and law enforcement. So, you know, as much as there's there's nothing inherently wrong with four or five white guys in suits, um, it does not make for an interesting event. So I had had um, an exchange with the organisers of one particular panel that I'd been sent you know, a, a notice about it by one organization that I'm not going to name. And I emailed them back and I said, you know what? I, I really don't want to go to this because um, it's a panel with five guys in it. And I think four of them are white and one of them appeared to be of, of a Asian extraction, right? But not representative of the field at all. And it was on blockchain startups, mm-hmm. right? Um. And we talked about this at the time, didn't we? Because I was absolutely fuming. Yeah. And, and I wasn't fuming about the fact that this panel existed in the first place. Um, I just said, look, I'm sorry, but on principle, a number of us in the cybersecurity community just don't participate in stuff like this because it's, you know, we can all do better as a community right. um, to, to get a more representative panel. And I feel like you haven't tried hard yeah. enough. Um, anyway, so I got four responses back from the organizers of this panel who coincidentally or otherwise were women um and firstly they were really really offended that I had said that I wasn't going to attend on principle they said it was counterproductive and but there was some really really kind of odd macho and I thought misguided language coming back so the first one was that and um, they felt that my non-attendance only lends itself to confirm what is patently not true, that female technologists are not interested, do not exist, or are just absent. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought, well, heck, I'm not sure anybody actually thinks that. I, <laughs> I think uh, that's that's hard, isn't it? Coming up with something that I I don't 
very frequently hear anybody say, oh, well, female technologists, they're not really very interested in coming to stuff. I think that, that there are obviously fewer of us that show up, but I, the ones that are there are definitely interested. <laughs> I think, isn't that because we're underrepresented well, yeah, in the industry? Sorry, sorry that was my point, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's, and then I was told that, you know, I was I was making it worse because not having enough females in the audience does nothing to encourage gender balance. <laughs> so it was being put back on me for not going. So I was, I, I, I was very calm. Once I'd spoken to you and you'd calmed me down. So I went back and I went, oh, hi, if you're not already aware of it, you may find this site helpful. And I directed them to tokenwoman.io, <laughs> which has been established precisely to promote female speakers in blockchain. Oh, yes, yes, right? yes, yes. And I said, oh, there's a number of UK women who I thought would fit the bill for this event. You might also want to have a look at Twitter. I've attached a screenshot of a search that I did last night. There's loads of accounts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's loads of accounts that you can contact who I'm sure would be happy mm. to help you source a female speaker for this event. Let me know how I can but help. But you know that right? they were ticked off just because they hadn't thought about it. And that's actually oh. the thing that drives me a little bit crazy is where we as women are looking for representation. And then if we run events and we don't think about it, you know, but it right. also kind of ticks me off. So uh, I'm just going to take a little bit of a stand here for our for our um, brothers and sisters of, of the Bane persuasion, um, because it also ticks me off a little bit then where you get likewise, you know, you'll see like videos, you know, encouraging people, hey, look at our company. It's awesome. Come work with us. And you're like, what? Dude, that's all white people. It's like, where, yeah. why are there no brown people? Why are there? There's literally not a single person with any color, uh, you know, to their body anywhere in this video. So yeah, talk about you know making people feel encouraged. And that was one of the things, you know, the the um, the Weds group that I work with, the the We Empower yeah. Diversity and Startups group. That's one of the things that we talk about, right? Was putting out the welcome mat. So do you know what? I wish I would have told you. You should have gone back to those ladies and said, listen. Ladies, y'all need to put the welcome mat out, and you should have done it with a full-blown Southern accent like that. (laughs) Because, of course, then they came back to me and said, oh, you might not be aware of this, um, but we have a female chair, and we have this, and we have that, and we've had lots of women at other events. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, but but there still aren't any women in this one. That's a different (laughs) event, (laughs) y'all. Yeah, so you're you're basically saying that I haven't got enough information at my disposal to tell you that your panel doesn't have enough women on it. But it all, to to bring this to a head, um, there were a couple of absolute stonkers that I want to share with the listening public and particularly with RM Girl UK because... Let's face it, it's your fault that I'm talking about this now. Um, We do blame you a little bit. (laughs) One of them said, I have to say that in general, I only recommend speakers known to me personally or to others I trust, as it is always a risk asking someone, however well represented on social media, to address an experienced and professional audience. Now, that first point's great because it implies that all we're doing on Twitter is talking about our latest nail (laughs) colour. Now, there's nothing wrong with talking about your nail colour on Twitter. That's absolutely fine. But the suggestion that just being on social media somehow makes you less professional, it's kind of, it's what? It's 10 years out of date, isn't it? So kind of wake up, ladies. And then I additionally want to say that we now have a full panel, which took quite an effort to assemble. So the idea of now adding a female speaker just to, quote, unquote, 
tick the box <laughs> is not practical on this occasion. I would also find it difficult to stand another speaker down, male or female, who has committed just to get our gender balance right for this particular oh event. Oh, gosh. Hang on a second. <laughs> You've got five speakers. They're all male. Standing one of those men down for one female speaker is not gender balance. <laughs> It's a start. <laughs> That's really just a gender appetizer. I mean, if anything, there's no balance to that. <laughs> and then I was reminded, I do urge you to come along and lend your own experience and knowledge. I am sure that would be very beneficial to you <laughs> and to the rest of the audience and speakers. I was being, they were asking me to pay 25 quid to go along to this. <laughs> and I thought, no, do you know what? I might not. I'm doing something else that but evening. So so what do we do, Beck? What do we do with people like this? I can I can kind of bite my tongue um, and hold them by the hand, but they they really didn't want to be held by the hand. They didn't want my offer of help. They didn't want me to kind of put speakers their way. They didn't want to change just to tick the box and and get the gender balance right. And they're women. And I wonder where is that coming from and how can we change it? Well, I, I think you have to keep having those conversations for starters, right? So, and I told you this at the time, but, you know, big, big old hand clap to you for just calling it out. Because I think that is something that especially a, a lot of other women would probably find really difficult. They'd be like, oh, it's actually women organizing it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, never mind. You know, it's no big deal. <laughs> But I think I think we have to continue to drive the point home, regardless of who's organizing it, you know, regardless of what pushback you get. And again, this is something that I was just talking about. Um, we, we had a WEDS event last night and I was telling the people in the audience, I was like, you know what, congratulations. Now that you've all been to the event, you are all now taking up the mantle of uh, being, you know, DNI advocates, diversity and inclusion advocates, you know. So as soon as you walk out of this meetup tonight, you know, you are now tasked with when you come across these kinds of, of uh, atrocities and, and abominations to, you know, the right kind of inclusion uh, in, in your companies or, or you know, in, in your conferences or whatever, raise your hand and speak up. And I think that in some cases might be all that you can do. But you know what? You provided them sources. You provided them, you know, the, the actual Twitter profiles, you know, the, the, the list that you found. You gave them your feedback. I guarantee you, Vic, they will absolutely think about it in a different way next time. They might, they might not think about you in such a great light next time. <laughs> They'll definitely think about the subject, I think. Well, where's my thank you email? Where's my box of chocolates for, for doing this? You know, I can't believe they were so churlish. Yeah, of course oh, yeah. I can. Yeah, nobody likes to have their nose put out of joint, do they? But so we should try and answer the question, I suppose, rather. Now I've done Now I've done my little rants, my little illustrative you've, you've example. You've got it off your chest now. It's all good. I feel, but I feel, I feel a bit naughty having exposed it, though. That you know, it's all suitably. I'm, I'm a former intelligence officer. I know how to anonymize stuff, right? But you're all frantically googling now, aren't you? Go, what is this? Mm. Yeah, blockchain startups. They might have some luck if you didn't attend about forty-five thousand conferences a year. <laughs> oh yeah, that's it. So. So to answer the question, which was, you know, so very kindly contributed, um, why aren't women noticed? And other than women only, what events do you find them most at? Now, for me, 
I, I might be wrong because we've still got an absolute ton of work to do to achieve balance and proportionate representation to the number of women in the industry. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think it's getting a little better. No, I definitely think it's getting better. And actually, I'll tell you, so how can the women get noticed, right? So the women that are going, one of the things that I still see to this day that drives me absolutely insane, but I can only say this myself now that I have age and experience under my belt, is 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 having confidence to have your voice when you're in the setting. So if you are, you know, one of 20 women who are at a conference of like, you know, I don't know, 100, 200 guys, man, don't be afraid to raise your hand and, you know, don't use your voice like this. I just wanted to ask a question, you know, raise your hand, ask your question, ask it with confidence, because you know what, even if you're like, oh my God, I don't actually know the answer to this. I'm going to sound really stupid. I guarantee you there will be probably a solid 60% of the people in the room will have at least a similar question. And I think that's the kind of thing that you may be only learning if with, with some experience, but if we can help to relay that to other women and especially to use your big girl voices, you know, when yeah. you are, I don't care if you're in a conference, if you are, you know, presenting something, if you are, yeah, you're asking a question, my God, use your big girl voice. I, <laughs> I can't tell you how many times these days I'm going up to women afterwards and I'm telling them, you know what, you are absolutely brilliant. My God, if I could have heard you. It would have been amazing. Ah, uh, yeah. So I, I do think that um, there's there's a sense of entitlement, or there is a there is a lack of entitlement issue, isn't there? And I was I was in one conference, oh, a year or so back, where a female speaker pulled out because she was so nervous about speaking in front of a room of older men. Yeah. And it had been a little bit off in some respects in that there had been some inappropriate jokes that hadn't been tackled. It was all about the background of the guys taking part because a lot of them were ex-military and it was physical security mm. stuff. So but like per se, it wasn't necessarily a very welcoming environment for women, yeah. right? But then... You know, and I and I, I I took a bit of time to um, listen to this woman because you know we really for exactly that reason we really wanted her to go out yeah. there, and I said, look, you are absolutely the most knowledgeable person in the world about what you're going to present mm -hmm. about. So, however knowledgeable and however professional and however experienced you think the people in the audience are your knowledge is the biggest part of your power on stage. Yeah. The big girl voice is super important, but I can't, I'll be honest with you. I can't remember when I didn't have a big girl <laughs> voice. So I'm just, I'm, I'm perhaps not the right person. Well, naturally to, have that, but see that. So for you, that comes naturally. I think. It, exactly. Yeah. So, but, but that entitlement of, you know, your stuff, yeah. but, but a, you are the most powerful person in the room right but now. But you have to come into that because women do not grow up hearing that and learning that, right? Women grow up yeah. hearing, don't take up too much space, you know, keep your legs together, you know, be quiet, you know, all this kind of stuff stuff now that is this nonsense really around how we need to portray ourselves and hold ourselves. And especially for me, again, coming from the South, you know, in the States, my gosh, my grandmother told me when I was a kid, you know, women were, were uh, created by God to serve men. So that's how I grew up, you know? So uh, you've been a bit of a naughty girl. Then, well, you, let me tell you, there's, <laughs> 
<laughs> we don't have enough time in this podcast to be able to talk about how I've disappointed <laughs> my grandmother. Bless her. Uh, bless her. Thankfully, she's she's gone and passed on, so she didn't have to see the atrocities that I would have otherwise wrought upon her. <laughs> um, but yeah. So, and thinking about the the question of what events do we see more women at? I mean, look, I'm moving much more in the policy and the legal and the privacy yeah. space. And there are definitely tons more women at those than they used yeah, to be. Yeah. Like even in the law enforcement ones, you know, there's tons more women in those. I don't know how it is on the, the more technical side, but where we've, I think, seen the most scandalous problems have been like the Hacker Boy conferences. Oh, there's they? still definitely um, a, a bias, you know, towards towards guys within the more technical populations. But the thing that I think, obviously, there's a lot of focus on, and with social media, we're able to really share a lot more easily, which is fantastic. Because of course, ten years ago, you know, we didn't have that capability. So now you look at all these amazing, you know, uh, women coding conferences. Um, there's I just learned about the Ada's List conference. You know, there's something called. Mm. Um, uh, uh, gosh women no tech women k-n-o-w tech i need to look that one up oh yes so there's so many amazing i mean and those are just three off the top of my head there's so many different amazing things oh the ladies of london hacking society right that's brand new so there's so many different amazing ways that women are coming together to um you know showcase their technical capabilities to learn more you know and and to um understand more about the technical space and i think women are feeling more comfortable with having a voice and i think that is again what it's all about it's a it's about breaking away from you know sort of all of the misunderstandings and, and misperceptions around how, you know, they're supposed to act or, or what they have um, perception wise, you know, been brought up with. And you know what else? There are a lot of female academics in cybersecurity as well, right? So I think on the more academic conferences, I'm seeing, you know, tons more female speakers, females in the audience. I went to the, you know, last year we had the um, the Oxford Cybersecurity Center have their global capacity building conference. Um, and there were tons of women mm. there. And there were women on every panel. They'd obviously, you know, made a policy decision about that. And it just it it felt much more inclusive for exactly that yeah, reason. Yeah. Um, I think also what is changing the demographic is you've got more and more women as account managers in cybersecurity or AI or tech-related disciplines in some of those big consultancies, you know, the PWCs, the Deloitte's of this world, um, the KPMGs, they're fielding women speakers to events. Um, And I I think, you know, that might not be on the sharp tech end or the the, the more innovative end, um, but certainly from the kind of the mainstream business perspective, I'm seeing more women. So if you do, so you know, listening public, if you do want to go along um, to conferences where you're not going to be the only woman, um, then those, you know, that more strategic space seems to be the one where we're, we're gaining ground. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, but I, I would not discourage anyone from you attend any event you want to. I mean, absolutely. And you will find someone there. I mean, obviously, you have to potentially be the person to speak up first, but you will absolutely find someone there, you know, a, a guy, someone else there 
that will want to talk to you, that will want to share with you. And you, I think if you can handle that and you're open to that, you know, I have to just put a quick word in, you know, for all of the the men that are out there that are doing such great things, you know, to assist in this space as well, because we do have so many amazing allies and so many men that are helping to pave the way you know, in terms yeah. of creating that equality. I mean, you mentioned Rick. I know Rick has done some awesome stuff. And um, it, it's just fantastic to have those guys out there with um, the, the the voices that they do have and, and having them help to, to lend towards that. Yeah. And I think for the people um, who don't see women, a really good one that I've used a few times when, you know, I've, I've had that stupid conversation, which I've mentioned before, where uh, I say, you know, there aren't enough, you know, people, women in senior roles in cybersecurity and then that that guy that I'm talking to will say will rattle off one name <laughs> right yeah. oh well we've got so and so yeah no no I'm actually going for 50 50 <laughs> Joe blogs not one um the the thing to do and it's a bit of a it's a bit of a low ball if you like it's a bit of a low blow it's you know when you're getting talking to people at networking receptions Say, so have you got kids? Yeah, have you got daughters? What do you think they'd think about this event? Yeah. What do you think they'd think about what you think about women in cybersecurity? And what do you want for them? Yeah. But would you want them to be in the situation we're in? You know? and, and again, I think that's where we see a lot of guys that are taking that stance, you know, where they have had, uh, they have daughters, you know, or, or they're close with sisters or whatever. And, and you know, they, they want those same opportunities. Um, I, I really think a lot of times where we see some of the biggest issues is where people either aren't as actually exposed and perhaps they've come from a different, oh, I'm just going to say it, perhaps they've come from a different generation and they're not as exposed to things being a yeah. bit different now. So I still see some yeah. hesitation in areas like that. Or where you have people that are just outright trolls and they just want the attention regardless of, you know, it being negative attention. And one of the things that really frustrates me is, you know, gosh, let's stop giving these people the attention. Just, you know, if they want to say something stupid, great block. I mean, let's just all immediately yeah. just not even give these trolls, you know, the, the attention that they're seeking. And I've seen a few of them popping up on Twitter lately. And there's been, you know, some people doing some awesome responses. There's, um, what's the lady? All I can remember is her handle. She goes by at Badass Bowen. Um, oh, crud. I can't think of her real name. Uh, well, I assume it's her real name. But um, anyway, she, you know, she's got, she's doing the whole Badass Bowen Army thing. I don't think I don't think badass is a real name. No, that's not her real name. That's her Twitter handle. I know that much. But I do know who you that mean. That would be an amazing name though. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so uh, I don't know. I, I think, you know, I think we have to continue to try and be ad adults to the best of our ability. We have to try and continue to help each other along in this space. And we have to not give airtime to the haters. Haters going to hate. Let's leave them alone with their hate. But also, I think one thing I've learned in certainly in the last 10 years of my career, having tried to conform and ingratiate myself and, oh, well, if I just behave like the boys a bit more, mm. then I'll get on like the boys. Oh, no, it doesn't work <laughs> like that. The boys get on quicker and further than I do. And maybe I'm just rubbish at my job, yeah. you know. And then you have all of that kind of imposter syndrome stuff is you know, do not be afraid to be a little bit bullish about this stuff. Do not be afraid to demand better. Mm. And even if people are going to send you nasty emails, um, 
you do deserve better. You do deserve representation. 100%. And I'll, I'll add to that, be your authentic self, right? So you talk about trying to fit in, you know, oh, should I do this? Should I do that? I went through all of that as well. I was like, oh, you know, and I, I picked up golf at one point. I mean, don't get me wrong. I was genuinely interested in golf, but I also thought, oh my well, God. I also thought, you know what, all these guys, when I lived in Texas, all these guys are talking about golf all the time. They all go playing golf. You know, maybe I should learn golf. And and I did have genuinely a good time with it, but did it help me one jot at work? No, because they're never going to let me into the boys club that go and, you know, drink the beers and play the golf or whatever they were doing. It just didn't work like that. And so yeah. I wasn't being my authentic self, you know, I wasn't being my, my sort of weird, geeky, slightly outrageous, you know, <laughs> sometimes technically decent, you know, self. And um, I, I, it took me a long time to learn that. And so, yeah, anybody that's going through that, I just want to tell you, just be yourself and be your most awesome self. And that is okay. I only wish I'd have known you then, Beck, because I would have reminded you of what Mark Twain said about golf. <laughs> what did Mark Twain say about golf? It's a good walk spoiled. <laughs> See, I don't know. Sometimes if you hit the ball and it goes straight down and it's nice and it's a long shot, I, there is a honestly, there's no better feeling than that shot. Sometimes you have to shoot about 300 shots before you get that shot if you're me. But. <laughs> Becca, I, I love you. You know that. But I think this is one interest we're not going to share. <laughs> Look, I, I don't even try to play golf anymore. I go to the driving range every now and again just so that I can give myself shoulder pain the next day. But <laughs> You say potato. I say potato. You say golf. I say traditional English folk music. <laughs> Let's call this podcast well, off. I think we should do. Yeah, it's been a good one. It's been a nice chat to you. And um, yes, thank you for the question uh, from our dedicated listener. Now that we... RM Girl UK, yay! Yeah, now that we have our, our first official... No, we've had questions before. Have we had questions before? We have, but they're mainly from Danny Dresner. <laughs> and, uh, does, does he count? Of course he does. <laughs> 100%. Oh, and... Hi, Danny. There's a couple of people yeah. I owe stickers to. I promise I will put them into the mail for you at some point. It will happen. She says that, but I was the last person to get one first time around. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Is that a Qubit? I don't it's like know. a Qubit sticker. I don't know. I don't know what to read into it, really. <laughs> good friends. Good friends on air. <laughs> and on that note. Fantastic. Um, have a fabulous time, everybody, and we will catch you next Cheers time. Cheers all. Bye. Bye.